0: Welcome back to Coach Class with me, Don Birch. This is the podcast where I get to speak to some of the most inspirational people I've had the pleasure of getting to know, I guess, over the last 25 years. And I'm delighted today on the podcast to welcome Emma Behrman. Now, Emma is one of those people that I can't describe, and that's what makes her so magical. Now, we've known each other for a few years in a number of guises, but most recently what we like to do is give each other time to think. And it's an absolute pleasure to do that here on the podcast with you, Emma. Welcome to Coach Class. Wow,
1: what a lovely introduction. Thank you very much,
0: Dom. Well, no, it's a pleasure. Now, so I sort of want to go back a little bit and remind myself how we bumped into each other because I think it's a really positive social media story. It's so hard these days to think about Twitter as being anything other than this sort of, you know, horrible, messy, angry place. But actually, the reason that you and I got to know one another was because you were very active on Twitter and I bumped into you, and then I think you rang me up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I remember, um, so I was—I think I was running or part running the Culture Vault website at the time, and we had quite a big following on Twitter. I remember you you were just very sort of um, chatty on Twitter, so it wasn't like, you know how some people can be a little bit defined by their job title, but you were never like that. So it's always like, oh, it's Don, and we're having a chat. One of my mad ideas which was about brand bothering. <laughs> do you
0: remember this? I do now, yeah. Gosh. A bit like
1: the witch of the social media generation, like witch hunting, in fact. And I thought this was such a, a genius idea, that I felt compelled to talk to you about it and see what you thought of it too. It's so, funny, isn't
0: it? Because when you, when you tell a story, it's very easy then to immediately place yourself back. So I can imagine myself sat outside the Orb, which was the online reputation booth. We'll go there another day. And I was sat in the press office and I remember receiving your phone call. And I remember thinking, because the, the ASDA press office was a really hectic, quite pressurised environment. And you didn't very often get the opportunity to talk to people at length about something that you hadn't planned to talk about I mean other than journalists ringing you up and giving you problems and so I, I, I can clearly remember it and I remember you kind of like I don't know I suppose the expression would be we sort of humored one another didn't we
1: he and me. I was absolutely convinced in that moment that I'd found something that was probably going to revolutionise the world, and that's probably set the tone of many of our conversations, actually, in both your ideas and my ideas, where we can, hey, what about this?
0: And I remember, so so later on in sort of the ASDA you know journey together, I guess there came a point where I remember saying to my boss at the time, Chris McDonough, who's also another really really interesting and inspiring leader. Very values-driven, very kind of, you know, so much humanity and kind of compassion as a leader, but hugely driven and blah, 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 blah. And I remember when I um, when I told him that I was, you know, working alongside you and, and his phrase for it, because I couldn't really describe the why. It was kind of like, look, I just hang out with Emma once a month and we talk about stuff, but I find it really, really useful – In effect, when I look back, it was kind of a coaching role that you were performing for me. But it was more than that because it was also kind of like this creative thought partner. And that was Chris's phrase where he said, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emma's your thought partner. That's fine. Now, there'll be people listening, rolling their eyes and cringing at the phrase, but it didn't really matter. What it meant was that within the Asda construct and the corporate environment, we were able to describe the benefit of what you and I had, which was hooking up together, sitting in a Tetley. And just hearing one another out for a, for an hour or two and exploring and kind of not really knowing where we would meander off to. A bit like this conversation.
1: I remember those times of feeling like I should be, um, I was getting more out of it than you were. That's how I always came away from our meetings and <laughs> thinking, wow, I'm feeling really like pumped up by this conversation. And it was part really like, well, not reciprocal, because I always thought you had such wisdom. <laughs> I was like really you know I'm not I'm quite happy to keep doing this work with you (laughs) I'm the one benefiting was the way I felt
0: and I want I want to explore that a little bit right because everybody has their anxiety and their their doubt and their kind of you know that thing on the shoulder where they're sort of doubting their own I don't know their value and their worth and and they can't often often see the visible impact that their way of being their conversation their respect to listen to somebody else's point of view and not judge them in that moment that has a huge positive and nourishing effect on the other person so i think of coaching as being always two way yes there might be a transaction involved yes it might be somebody paying to help them through a period of their life or to help them at crossroads but what i found when i'm ever whenever i'm in a sort of coaching environment is that i'm getting at least as much in return if not I don't know, if not sort of insight, just even that sort of affirmation of the things that I hold dear and find important. And I think when you and I talk to each other now, <laughs> and so just for the listeners' benefit, it's normally while I'm walking along a canal so, through a forest. Okay. And occasionally I might swear quite loudly to describe what I'm really thinking. And you allow me to do that. I feel sorry some of the dog walkers of Shipley.
1: I mean, unless you really sort of make a critical decision to make this your career, let's say, and this is the only thing you do then I think you don't always have a consciousness of what, what it is that you're bringing that, that's of value to people. So I haven't set out to be a specific coach. I know that's pretty much how a lot of my sort of work or conversations are. They are coaching and creating space for people to absolutely work out what it is they want to say and uh, probably with a lot of sense of humour in it all. But I I absolutely love your walks and talks because I I really feel like I get a sense of who you are, where you're at, the reality of life. It feels very human. Um, And I think that that's perhaps the COVID thing as well. You know, that humanity that, no, it's not a COVID thing. I mean, we've always had this, haven't we? But I think people are revealing themselves more during this last sort of 12 months as to the, who they, you know, what they love doing and what's around them, where they live. And it, you know, I'm sure it must be a very interesting time to be reflecting on some of that stuff. So it's not like you walk around as a person with a business suit on or you have a business head. It's like the blurring of boundaries and identities, I think, are really happening during this last 12 months.
0: Let me let me just change tack a little bit then. I just want to talk about um, your superhero power, because one of the things that you're brilliant at is pointing out in others their amazing ability to do something that's their genius, right? It's their superpower. They're in the 1% of people who can do that naturally, intuitively. It's something they're passionate about, they're in their element when they're doing it. And therefore there's a degree of ease that comes with it. So they're not self-reflective or aware that the thing that they find so easy and that they love doing is not is something that other people admire, respect, you know, just think, wow, how do you do that? So You know, one of your superpowers, and you have many actually, But one of your superpowers is to be able to ask the most wonderful questions and to allow people to come to those questions. And then you have this ability to observe those who come forward and those who choose to sit back and those who participate and those who are willing to be probed and played with and toyed and those who actually (laughs) respectfully want to leave their (laughs) response there, right? I mean, it's an amazing power asking people powerful questions. And I guess through that, there's a huge privilege in return that people share things with you, perhaps that they even they weren't expecting to share from time to time.
1: I absolutely think I'm so curious, honestly. Is my head is constantly full of like, what does what makes people tip? You know, I'm so interested in that, and not just because, um, because actually, when when you find out the answer to that, or you go on a journey with somebody, it's like you see people light up from within, and it's the most energizing thing in the world to realize that some will be be there when people actually start to unfill and recognize something that they love. And you know, so the framing of questions quite often is around is this question or is it is it going to actually add value to someone's day to be asked this question in the first place? Even if they don't respond? So it is like the crafting of a thing. So whereas I'm I'm not especially brilliant at art or painting, I think that there is a craftsmanship in Um, curiosity
0: i think i want to talk about being playful as well because i think the way that you use questioning and you approach it in a way that is playful so let me just let me just paint a picture so we've worked together on things over the years and you know let's take the play box as an example you know to the naked eye it's a you know a shipping container with nice color paint on the side of it and it's plonked in the middle of a busy city centre so it's incongruous because suddenly it's it's a physical structure that wasn't there previously but there might be people dressed as astronauts or you know space cadets or whatever (laughs) floating around and there might be balloons and there might be bubbles and there might be play-doh and lego and actually one of the things that that does is it attracts people over sometimes it's the children who come first and then mum or dad comes with them and it just disarms that sort of I don't know, that thing that used to happen at ASDA when we used to put events on, that lots of people walk by but not many approach. So you, you, you use play in a very thoughtful, fun, you know, it is playful way. But there's a real power, isn't there, to then being able to get children, adults, passers-by, people who might not approach, into a really, really meaningful conversation that often is actually like consultation, right? It's like, what do you think about this? And people begin to tell you, don't they? Just what's the theory behind it? Because there's huge theory and science behind what you do, but you make it appear so effortless and fun that I think to the naked eye, people, if they try to mimic it, could easily get it very, very wrong.
1: Wow. Um, Thank you. I feel really sort of seen when you say that, actually, Um, because I think it's about creating a space of psychological welcome, you know, so... not everybody wants to participate in something, you know, everybody's days are different, their lives are different. So by creating a sense of welcome and thinking about the, the you know, the space that you're operating within, and it will be different ev- everywhere we go. The first day is quite, you know, it's like the observation of what happens if you throw a sort of stone into a pond and where the ripples go out, it's, it's actually quite, well, it's catalyzing really. And you don't always know quite how that space is going to work but the outcome that you're looking for really is a space where people feel that they can step into it in a variety of different ways and stay for five minutes or linger for five hours, as quite often is the case, and almost become surprised by themselves. You know, four hours later, here we are in the middle of a busiest commercial shopping street, and we're playing with cardboard. Never really expected that to be how my day panned out. And I think there's the theatre of the street as well. I mean, we talk about street theatre, but I think actually people love to look at things. You know, you go broad and the way that the seats are placed is very much that the sort of city square or the town squares are the place of interest to observe so participation for me is the key thing i want people to feel that they can do more of what they love where they live with people and you know our our kind of foundational values are around i suppose how do we lay the ground for more friendships to flourish you know that's the the dream really and uh, I suppose that keeps you, to some degree, focused on the point of why you're there, even if the reason why you've been commissioned may not be that, <laughs> to be honest. The reason you commission quite often is called animation, or um, it can be consultation. It can be, so we, we fulfil the brief, but at the same time, I think the more important thing is to create a space where people think, I could do that, I could do more of it, Um and connect you know see that people aren't it's safety isn't it it's about saying that actually people are generally all right strangers are generally all right let's create the spaces where we can start to see that more and actually feel some sense of ownership over places that we live work and um play in And i suppose that that is actually whether it's a shipping container or an empty shop or the way we facilitate events together you might not get it right immediately but that is the aim of the sort of space that you're trying to create.
0: And the reason that I observe you as being a superhero or having a superpower of this is because I think that you're one of the only people that I've stumbled across in the world that has the ability to do with the general public in a public location in a civic space on a normal busy day, whether it's rain, you know, (laughs) shine or snow, you are giving people that psychological safety to really explore what do they think about the topic or whatever's on their mind that day in a way that Nancy Klein would do on a one to one basis with 30 years of coaching experience with an executive you know being paid by the company or whatever to have this exquisite time together and yet you're able to do it with interference and stressful and children and to-do lists and lunch breaks and I think, that's, I think that's an amazing, amazing thing that you're able to do that perhaps isn't valued or recognized in the way that it really should be. I mean, I suppose part of the issue here is the translation point, right? You know, so when I used to, when I used to have consultancy gigs with various brands having left Asda, I think what I was really doing was doing the consultancy bit that they needed. You know, how do we do our social media? But really what I loved was the coaching bit of how do they mm. influence their boss So that their boss thinks what they're doing is great. How do they get more budget? So they're allowed to do even more exciting, fun things. And I quite, you know, often I was kind of flipping into that kind of coach role because that's where I'm in my element.
1: Yeah, I I wrote a little list of things about you and why um, I think you have a zone of genius. And I, I totally think that translation piece is, I don't come across it very often. So it's the listening that you do in order to really elicit what people care about I think that that you know unravelling piece when people feel they have to perform in a certain way you've always done that disarming yourself and then I think the bit where having listened and allowed people to sort of you know find what's deep within them you are then able to help think about how that gets translated the knowledge that you have of so many different people and their different perspectives also comes from a lot of your Um, I think incredible emotional intelligence in fact which is I know there have been times when I've been quite irate and you've gone well let's see what it's like to be behind you know in their shoes and you do this amazing thing really of humanizing somebody that I might have found quite difficult initially (laughs) because of thinking about what their day looks like and what their stresses and pressures are and I think because you do that and you see people as they are not by their job title or you're so good at working out what it is that needs to happen in a way to resolve that tension and it, i think that's amazing you you seem to have a kind of pragmatic way of going about it but at the same time you know really i think the big learning for me is not to judge to put aside assumptions yeah i think what it's like to be that human being who might be very scary signing job title but actually has huge amounts of pressure so translation is key it's absolutely key to making good stuff happen i think
0: and we should both practice what we preach and start by just saying thank you because that was really lovely of you (laughs) to say so so i'm sort of quite touched thank you very much indeed and i've been thinking a lot recently about excuse me about that when somebody pays you a compliment and they value something in you that actually it's really really important that you would stop and pause and you just say thank you like I really appreciate the fact that you said that, and I appreciate how you said it, and and the warmth and the and the explanation that went with it, because it's very easy, isn't it, when you hear something from somebody to dismiss it and kind of go, oh, but, but, but you, know, I, you know, but actually, the, in return, the impact that has on the person who's giving, it's it's like insulting them, isn't it, to some extent, and and, and it's very hard, and it has to become like a learned behaviour to accept when somebody says something good about you, to absorb it, receive it. And if nothing else, just say the words "thank you." Now, I'm gonna—we're we, sort of running out of time. Well, we're running out of time. We'll carry on talking after the podcast, obviously, for days. But um, as you look to the future, then, what do you see in the future? And you know, how? What's your sort of hopes, I guess, and aspirations? Because you are somebody that has the ability to look past what other people might be able to see. And you are able to connect the dots. And it reminds me of an event we did at Asli years ago, which was literally called Connecting the Dots. So as you're connecting the dots, what what's the portrait or the picture that you see over the horizon?
1: It doesn't come without a few clouds, actually. So the, I think the, the purposefulness of the stuff that I'm interested in comes from a fear of us losing, how can I put it, human beings are like amazingly full of massive, massive potential, as we know. But at the same time, we're also destructive and have kind of other tendencies. And I think I think we're in a time of immense potential, but also quite scary times for a lot of people. So I look at what our rights are as human beings wanting to um, continue our survival on this planet. It sounds extremely deep to say it this way. And what can we do to playfully navigate that future? Because it is uncertain. You know, COVID's really shown to us that all planners pointless to some degree we can't actually predict what's going to happen and we're going to have to really work out how to be together um in order to navigate if this is a, if it's going to become more bumpy um how do we you know deal with uncertainty and i suppose i'm quite zealous about the fact i think if we can try to do that in a more creative playful way um then good stuff might emerge out of this and we've seen a lot of things through covid which giving me lots of faith actually that there's green shoots um but there's also equally stuff which isn't a green shoot and um how we start to it sounds really vague as an answer it just feels like the, the way that we get through uh, i'll put it differently um my friend mike chitty who you know um quotes a guy called myron rogers quite a lot which is the process we take to get to the future determines the future we get so that's in every little action that we take mindfully and how we are with each other but i think it's also about saying if we want to um, continue to be on this planet we're going to have to do things differently
0: brilliant absolutely brilliant emma Behrman, thank you so much friend colleague coach i don't know thought partner mischief (laughs) maker curiosity creator i don't know i can never quite find the right words to describe you all i will say to people is if you don't know emma look her up and get to know her it's a brilliant honor to be your friend and to be in your company thank you so much for taking the time to come on to coach class
1: thank you so much dom <laughs>